People of the world, it's the Brothers Talk with your hosts, Rod, Scott, and Norm, inviting you to join us each Friday wherever you listen to your favorite podcast or on our website to hear our take as three black, unfiltered African-American men with no strings attached, giving voice to the most feared, most misunderstood, and most rarely heard from segment of the population on topics of interest to us for education, enlightenment, and entertainment. You can follow us on Facebook. You can reach us with your comments, questions, suggestions at The Brothers Talk on Twitter, The Brothers Talk on Instagram, and you can email us, thebrotherstalk at gmail.com. And stay tuned for our long-awaited YouTube channel. And now on with this week's episode. Hello once again, Brothers Talk family, as we welcome you and all first-time listeners, wherever you're listening in around the world, to our message of holding critical thinking conversations, promote social activism, and uplift people everywhere as it continues to spread. We sincerely appreciate you for also, and we want to thank you for your help with the work of encouraging and educating those you interact with in identifying opportunities to endorse and inspire new and existing Black businesses and individuals for the empowerment and prosperity of our community. Your weekly coronavirus awareness alert, because we care, is that there are other viruses in the mix that as of the data from last year, according to a study by a nonprofit public policy group, says 40% of American households, that's four out of 10, were hit by at least one of these viruses that included COVID, rhinoviruses, non-COVID coronaviruses that can cause the common cold and other maladies. Then there are para-influenzas, a different family from flu-causing influenzas that can cause croup and pneumonia in children. There's also enterovirus, D68, which caused the National Respiratory Illness Outbreak in 2014, and virus, a relatively new virus that was identified in 2001, and it's in the same family as RSV and similar has similar symptoms. So people, there's a veritable respiratory virus gangster hanging around out there just waiting to do a home invasion. So please arm yourselves and your loved ones by getting vaccinated, and getting the boosters, washing your hands, wearing masks, using plenty of disinfectants. And here's the big one. If you do get sick, please stay home until you're not contagious and try not to spread it to others. Come on, people. We can and we must do better. And now to my brothers in the struggle for critical thinking, Scott and Norm. Thanks, Rod. And hey, family, thanks for your continued support. And uh, I'm going to touch on the coronavirus just for a second here. Uh, like I was, I was saying earlier that I'm a little confused here or more concerned because in some states, hospitals are beginning to fill up. In some places, you know, people are still dying. But yet, I don't see the urgency from the public. Uh, people aren't wearing masks. Just take a look at the sporting events like football games that were played this weekend, that played on Saturdays and Sundays, and they're filled to capacity, but you don't see a mask in the crowd. And I made a point of trying to see the look and see could I see anybody with a mask on in any games. I watched a lot of sports this weekend and I didn't see that. So that's what's concerning to me that that people aren't taking this serious, that they really think that the this pandemic and the virus has gone dumbit or is or it's over and it's not. So put your mask on, wear your mask when you're in public and you're in crowds. Protect yourself and protect your loved ones. No, 
Thanks, Scott. And just to follow up what Scott said, you know, Governor DeSantis of Florida just lost a court case in which he literally tried to hide the pandemic statistics for his state. He literally fired the state scientists and literally hid the numbers for those infected from this disease. And literally, how many people have died and have gotten sick because of the state's sponsored cover-up of this disease. We cannot depend on our elected officials to help us with this disease. We have to actually take care of each other by promoting healthy and safe protocol. Please, we need each other. Let's work together, people. We are very grateful that so many people in this country have joined with others around the world in resisting the one-sided pro-Israel narrative that has been the standard in this country for over 70 years. We repeat in the most forceful way possible that we do not and are not condoning the actions of Hamas, but in the words of Chris Rock, I understand. What's most important to us is that more people focus on understanding all the facts about this war that's going on and get all the information that's available to make up your own minds. So we've made our position rather clear that while we hate the fact that innocent people are suffering and dying on both sides of this conflict, we do not believe that there's equal blame to go around. And we certainly do not believe in the propaganda that Israel is the guiltless victim of horrible Hamas. So there's a little more of truth that you aren't likely to hear if you're only listening to the majority of the mainstream media feed, but it's readily available by tuning into Al Jazeera a very independent news source, or by searching for other unbiased sources online. So please indulge us just a little bit while we give you a little bit more information. A warning, it's not as easy as it may sound to find it because there are a ton of pro-Israel sites that do a pretty good job of masquerading as neutral while they're in reality quite biased. But we do our homework, so here you go. The Oslo Accords, which were the follow-up to the Camp David Accords, brokered between Israel and Egypt under Jimmy Carter were a new pair of agreements under the Clinton administration between Israel and the Palestine Liberation Organization, signed by Israeli Prime Minister Itzhak Rabin and PLO leader Yasser Arafat in 1993 and 1995, respectively. And these were supposed to establish the foundation for a two-state solution involving Israel and an independent Palestinian nation. Extremists on both sides were against the deal that also created the Palestinian National Authority, or PA, that was supposed to be the governing body of the proposed Palestinian state, along with the PLO. Israeli extremists assassinated Rabin for signing the accords, even though it became increasingly clear that the accords ceded more influence over the PA, the Palestinian Authority, to Israel. Now, Hamas was established in 1987 as part of the extremist group known as the Muslim Brotherhood that opposed the existence or colonization of Palestine by European Jews that were supported by the United States and Europe. And as such, as a rejection of the Palestinian Authority and PLO after Arafat's death in 2004 by those feeling that they were living increasingly under an apartheid system, with the amount of control that Israel was exercising over the PA, Hamas came to power as the de facto government of Gaza, winning parliamentary elections, representing some 2 million people there. One other quick note about what we mean when we say propaganda. 
Each time you hear about Hamas or the Muslim Brotherhood, the narrative usually goes, they're calling for the destruction or total annihilation of Israel. But we simply remind you that Israel had as much right to that land as the Dutch did to South Africa, the colonizers to the Western Hemisphere, the British to India, or the Europeans who divided up Africa at the Berlin Conference in 1885. So using terms like destruction and annihilation are used to inflame emotions when the truth is that they simply want out of colonization and they want their independence, just like South Africans, other African nations, India, and most of the countries in the Western Hemisphere, except for the United States. Just want to make sure that you get a little bit more balanced picture when you think about what's going on over in the Israeli-Hamas conflict. As I thought about this conflict and the reaction that that we've seen from around the world, but particularly in this country, I'm, I'm saying to myself, wait a minute, are some li- lives uh, more valuable or worth more than other lives? Because during the Black Lives, Black Lives Matter movement, we got a little bit of response from, from politicians, but we didn't get the kind of response that we're getting from people who've been impacted in Israel. And like Ross said on the onset, you know, we're not condoning anything that happened. You know, we don't condone, condone violence on either side. But when Black people are being murdered, and we've been brutalized in this country since we've been here, and there's been a really an uptick since Barack Obama was elected president. And the way the black people have been attacked and brutalized and it continues. I just don't recall seeing the president Biden because we have these these incidences that happen all the time. I just saw some recently where where this white cop punched a black woman in the face who uh, was in an accident. And I just haven't seen Biden come out with the same forcefulness and the same passion about black lives and and how black people are being treated in this country as he's done with the uh with with Israel and and, and the Jews. I I'm, I'm, I just haven't heard anybody make that kind of comparison. It just seems like all of this aid that we're given to and I I I have no problem with that. The aid that we're giving to Israel, we're giving to the Ukrainians, I have no problem with that. But where's the aid for the underserved black communities? Where's the aid for our communities that's that's just been basically shown since we've been in this country? I, I don't see that. I don't see politicians saying, hey, wait a minute, we don't need to give uh, Ukraine any more money or Israel any more money until we fix some of the problems we have in this country, some of the social ills, ills and some of the unfairness that's been happening to black people in this country. I don't see none of that. and And that saddens me. Because we pay taxes also. We pay taxes, but it seems like other countries have access, readily, easily access to to capital that we can't even dream about getting. So I'm just looking at it from, from, from that aspect. Well, I have a problem with this government supporting apartheid, especially the 30 plus billion dollars a year that we uh, subsidize Israel with. And the fact that the same government, as you just mentioned, Scott, has not addressed the racism, the structural racism that we face in this country at all. And literally, Biden has doubled down on those same racist policies and institutions by giving them more money 
instead of addressing the underlying issues that they have in regards to Black America. He is not our savior. As a matter of fact, I mean, he he has a long history of, you know, white supremacy and racism. He and his, his friend, uh, Strom Thurmond, you know, and, and that's where we stand. And we have to point that out in regards to this government. As far as Rod, Rod, I'm glad you touched on the history of of Israel and uh, the Zionist movement, which really started back in the 1800s. People really don't understand how long they've been planning a homeland in Palestine and the takeover of Palestine. That's long in the planning. That just didn't happen. And literally after World War II, since Great Britain held that colony at that point in time, they they offered the Jews, several places for homeland, as a homeland, one of them being Uganda, which was still a British colony at that point. So literally, as you said, Rod, Israel is nothing but a colony for Europeans today. And what you're seeing is apartheid. And so this is what we are also very aware of, that no matter how forcefully we say that we don't condone what Hamas is doing in terms of the violence, nor do we condone what Israel is doing, that there are going to be people who listen to this and they're going to say, you know, we are anti-Semitic. Well, be that, say what you want to, but we know that that's not what we're saying, because anti-Semitism isn't just about questioning what is going on. And that's the second reason for me revisiting this topic, because there are reports on in the news that college campuses like Harvard, Columbia, and Cal Berkeley have once again become the hotbed for critical thinking in that they were intended to be around this subject. And that there are massive debates going on about who's really at fault in this conflict. And while that is a really good thing, there's another story that's being reported by NBC News about a number of Jewish law firms refusing to hire or rescinding offers to students who hold pro-Palestinian views or who are questioning the pro-Israel narrative. There's even a professor, including one who wrote an opinion piece in the Wall Street Journal, discouraging companies from hiring these students. He went so far as to say that free speech has consequences and then went on to say those students were supporting terrorism murders. Now, this is absolutely despicable behavior because college campuses have always been a laboratory for some of the most radical thinking imaginable. And these same professors have said nothing as ultra-right-wing racist and sexist groups have been allowed to promote their hate speech. And if they have, why hasn't the media covered it? So I appreciate the points that both of you brothers bring up, which is that, you know, the Instead of us, one, being more concerned about our domestic issues and two, making sure that we give a more balanced history that we have decided that we will just make our bed in the lies and propaganda that has continued to prop up this thing and why this conflict is still ongoing. Yeah, right. You know, a couple of points that you made about how look like, in my opinion, college students are being censured. And this is the place where you're supposed to, you know, develop, to grow, broaden your horizon, broaden your mind, you know, uh, just diversity in terms of the way that you think and interact with people. But now it seems like because someone is attacking Israel and again, someone is attacking the Jews, attacking the Jews. And again, we're not condoning violence on any on any front. To me, this whole What's been happening in the Middle East and Middle East and all of the wars around the world shows me that 
there is something here that's inherently uh, in some people is inherent that violence is a way that they solve conflict or solve problems. You have people who want to say that they're elite. When you talk about the Ivy League schools, they're supposed to be above the way that, you know, the ordinary person think or respond. But to me, when you start censoring people, that's the same thing. And, you know, you're, you're attacking them. You're trying to you're trying to stop them from their free their, their right for freedom of speech, their First Amendment right. But yet we got an ex-president that spews hate, been spewing bigotry, hate, sexism, racism, all of the isms since he came on the scene and people seem to uh, cower away from instead of putting that down and putting all this right wing garbage that that you see on uh, social media is all hate speech instead of putting that down nothing is it's, it's just barely a whimper there's some talk that come from some liberal 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 talking heads and liberal stations but that's just part when we start looking at the number of right wing radio stations and the right wing TV stations on the air that that influence that they have far reaches and far outweighs what what liberals have. But you have this situation where there seems to be anything negative about Israel or the Jews, whether they're in the right or the wrong, people are going to come after you and make your life miserable. I, I just wanted to mention one thing. In the United States here, we have 35 states that have passed legislation in regards to criticizing Israel in regards to the BDS protest, which is really the boycott and, and protesting of apartheid. 35 states. So literally, Scott, as you mentioned, freedom of speech is not free when it comes to Israel. And so once again, what we sought to do here is open up the minds and ears and eyes of those who are willing to see and willing to hear that this thing is not nearly as linear as our majority mainstream media would try to make it to be. And there are those who are willing to make a better case for looking at all of the history, looking at it from both sides, and helping all of us to become better informed and make up our minds. So we just want to encourage you to do the same. We got a lot of responses from the last time we brought this topic up. So we wanted to revisit it just to make sure that you knew that we weren't trying to disengage from this topic. So in our Black Business Spotlight, meet Camaria Wallace, a Howard University graduate turned entrepreneur who's championing higher education within the Black community with Black and Scholar, her fashion-forward collegiate apparel brand. The number of Black students enrolling in higher education has been historically lower than their non-Black counterparts. Recent research has shown that enrollment rates have increased from 17.9% to 22.6% from 2010 to 2023. However, according to the census, the number still falls short of the national average recorded at 32.9%, which is literally 10 percentage points lower for us. Kamiri is on a mission to flip those statistics through her purpose-driven fashion brand. Started in 2020, the company has magnified its mission, offering collections of officially licensed HBCU collegiate apparel designed to celebrate and encourage higher education within the Black community. 
She's committed to helping Black students finance their dream of higher education. So consequently, Black and Scholar offers a scholarship fund to help students with tuition and living costs. The business includes licenses for seven HBCUs, including Howard, Morgan State, Norfolk State, North Carolina A&T, Hampton, Virginia State, and Texas Southern. With over 100 HBCUs across the country, Wallace plans to expand the company's license to include more institutions. Black and Scholar has reached over 500,000 scholars and contributed over $30,000 to HBCU community. The brand is currently sold online in major retail stores, including Foot Locker and Barnes & Noble, as well as college HBCU campus bookstores. For further information, visit blackandscholar.com. That's a wrap for this week's show. And remember, you can follow us and also share your thoughts and communicate with us by sending your comments as well as your questions and show ideas to The Brothers Talk on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, or email us, thebrotherstalk at gmail.com. As always, God willing, we'll continue to keep our focus on the issues that impact our community on the path to a better future. And until our next episode, know that we sincerely appreciate your time your and your interest, and you can rest assured that we'll never take it or you for granted. And finally, let's all do better today because that's all we really have.